Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a drumming podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. Drummy drum, drum drum. Today's guest is Jake Reed. Jake is a Los Angeles-based session player and educator and is the host of probably my favorite YouTube channel, Breaking Down Recording Techniques. On top of knowing how to explain things in an extremely approachable way, Jake is simply an amazing drummer. I mean, he's been asked to sub for Peter Erskine and also studied with him and was his TA. And so there's a lot of all that. So I love his overall energy and perspective on this often too serious world of drumming. And I knew his choices would expand my own palette, which since I'm recording this after our conversation, I can certainly say I was right, just like always. Anyways, I have a feeling Jake will be a recurring guest on this podcast in many facets. So I hope you like this one. If you don't, just push mute while you still play it on your phone because it's all about those numbers, baby. Cheers. All right, so I did want to start off by playing a few songs by you, and these are actually two recent tracks. So the first one I want to play was a song called Duke's Ding-A-Ding by you and Ryan Shaw uh, from the album Drum and Drummer. Before we play it, do you want to talk about kind of uh, the concept of that album, why you put it out, when you put it out, blah, blah, blah? Totally. Um, So... Yeah, I forget when we even record it now because it's like the whole last year has sort of not existed. I think we recorded it in 2019, mm-hmm. like summer. And the thing is, a few months before that, we got together. We, we basically studied with a couple of the same guys. We both studied with Jeff Hamilton at one point, different points in our lives, and Peter Erskine. And we both went to USC. We both always just admired each other's drumming. So one day we got together like, hey, let's have a drum hang. So we got together at my place. Um, we're both Gretsch artists. Mm. So he brought over his little bebop kit, and I had my Gretsch bebop kit set up. And we just sort of started playing, you know, like jamming together. And it turned into like, okay, what's like a jazz tune we can like play together just, at, just for fun? Um, so we, the first tune we did was Stomping at the Savoy that we sort of and we made a video out it just turned out to it was just fun so we just did it yeah um and then we were like oh my gosh we should make a whole album of this that would be fun so that's what we did uh and so this duke's ding-a-ding is well you'll the listener will probably be able to tell what song we're playing but um so that we ended up making a whole album there's like 10 songs and we called it Drum and Drummer because it's just a drum duo album. We recorded it right here in this room. And we used four microphones. So there's one overhead mic on each drum set and one right in front of the bass drum on each drum set. And that's all we did. And part of it is, you know, like when you have such minimal miking, a lot of it comes down to this is just like a mini uh, drum lesson for all the younger guys out there. Please but um, you have to really have a, a good understanding of your balance dynamically on the kit right you have to understand how your drums will speak 
uh, to the microphone if there's only one microphone, right? So you have to be balanced. And so that was sort of an exercise in that, being balanced in this room together. And then the, the second thing that I think makes it sound... Because I, I am pretty proud of how it turned out sonically. You should be. Um, and that's because Rich Breen mixed and mastered it. And he's a great... He's just one of the, I don't know, just most talented engineers I know <laughs> and mi mixing engineers. Um, so he he mixed and mastered all of it, and it turned out really good. So Duke Stingading, obviously Duke Ellington, um, drummers, ding-a-ding, ding-ding-a-ding, ding-a-ding. <laughs> um, so yeah, see if you can tell which tune we're playing. All right, here we go. Duke's ding-a-ding. So who is who is panned left? Do you remember who's panned left, who's panned right? Well, it's coming through, I think, in my headphones mono. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but my drums were the ones that are tuned a little higher. I do know that. Okay. Uh, well, I played the first iteration of the melody, whatever okay. that was. So yeah, I think you're panned on the right, but again, uh, okay. I can cut I all this out <laughs> if it's wrong. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember if I was... Yeah, I just don't remember because it was so long ago now. You know, the thing is, we totally did it as naturally as possible like there's no click tracks there's no like so you can hear a bunch of flaming like we're in the same room it's like we didn't really edit anything but not a lot though i was gonna say you guys are locked in i mean well, it's that's yeah. incredible and the and the thing is we did that all in i think maybe we did two two days and then maybe we got together one more time after that like a like a few weeks later um so all of this we recorded and like pretty quickly, like in terms of we wrote an arrangement for it, like on the spot, we recorded it and did a few takes until we felt comfortable. And then, you know, that's all there is. That's all we did. <laughs> so don't put me on the spot, but uh, what, what song is that? Oh, it's, uh, it don't mean a thing if it, it, yeah. Don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, but maybe it's hard to tell because we're not playing a pitched instrument, you know, it's. Well, I just usually... I don't blame you. <laughs> usually two drummers um, just playing together, going back and forth, is like in, so, in some ways my nightmare. But that, that and I think another one that you we're going to play, which is one of your choices later on, it's so musical. It's not just two guys trying to be like, well, what can you do? Well, here's what I can do. So the whole album, I just chose that one because it was, it kind of like gets, gets going pretty quickly. Um, but check out the whole record. It's really cool. Yeah. Of course, I'm yeah. talking to our listeners, not you. Jake, you Thank should check you. out that record more. I should check more. out my record and criticize what I played. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, cool. Well, the next one is kind of an ode to, I think, the reason why I first even was uh, privy to your YouTube channel. Um, and so this song is uh, 1985 World Champions, and it's from your record, um, uh, Read Between the Lines, spelled with your last name because you're very witty. And uh, yeah, let's just play it and then we'll, we'll go from there. 
Such a dad joke. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, though. I don't want you to sue me for copyright, so I'm not going to play the whole song. Please don't. But okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those ones that I was trying to because we were talking about Gunner's, uh, you know, pot your episode with Gunner earlier. Yeah, and, where's the one? Yeah, and I was that was the song where I was like trying to be a little elusive with where the beat was at, at the top. You well, know? it worked. So I don't know. In my it's <laughs> in my head, it's impossible to not hear where one is. Well, of course, of course. Yeah, uh, so. And I, I first, I think it was your like how to make 80s drum sounds YouTube video. Um, and you kind of talked about how to get those sounds. Um, and I did want to just mention, I mean, you have such a matter of fact. And I do want to get to this song and, and why you put it out. Because that, that album you put out is, there's a lot of different genres on there. It's really cool. Um, but you have a very matter of fact, no bullshit way of explaining your process. And it honestly makes someone like me, who's an, a novice when it comes to doing all this stuff, um, it makes it very uh, unintimidating, I guess. Um, so how long did it take you to figure out that most purists are just romantic about things that really don't matter um or do you even agree with that yeah i do agree with that um the thing okay and again i should preface all this with this is just my way of thinking about it it's not like it's right or wrong yeah um (laughs) or like you know true or false or whatever um i think as a drummer and as a musician and as a drummer who is a musician who does professional work in los angeles you know, doing gigs or sessions or what have you. Um, There comes a point where it's like, if you want to work, you have to be giving and you have to be flexible with what your sounds are, like what sounds you're comfortable making, right? And it used to be when I was younger and I was like very, very into jazz, as you'll hear on some of my, my picks, you know, that we listen to here, I was like, very like, no, you will not muffle my bass drum. We will not take the front head there. No, you're not going to cut a hole in the front head of the bass drum, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, which is fine. I mean, it's cool to be very, uh, have a clear vision of what you want to sound like, but if someone calls you to play on their song and I think of myself when I'm recording for people, we're in the service industry, you know? Like, I'm providing a service to you, and the service is to just make drums that fit your piece of music, right? In the clearest way possible. That gets basically the message of your song across. That's that's what it's all about when you're recording a song for someone, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about it's the really lyrics. It's really that simple, yeah. That's all it is. So it's like, if I'm being like a stickler, like, no, like, this, this, this is not my sound, blah, 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 <laughs> then... 
first of all, I'm either going to get fired or I'm, <laughs> you know, and and we're not going to be friends after that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Jake, why don't um, you come out in the hallway real quick? Um, no, you can bring your stuff. Yeah, exactly. So part of it was I used to be very much a purist about how a drum set should, and air quotes, you can't see this on the podcast, how a drum set <laughs> should sound. You can hear the wind. You're being very aggressive yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, there's so many different drum sounds, and I love getting different drum sounds. So it, at first, I like to answer your question, at first I used to be very much a purist about it, but the more and more I actually did session work and just wanted to like be able to hang out and like make the hang, it became less about being a purist to the sound of what I thought the drum should sound like and it became more of um you know a compromise working mm -hmm. with the engineer working with the producer working with the artist right and you tend to get a lot more done that way yeah and it's more fun so to me that's that's more important than trying to put your stamp on something like this is my sound man you know well, i think also just the way you approach information you're like dude this is just like some people try and explain information in a in a productive way, but they do it in a way that still kind of feels elitist and still kind of feels like, but I'm me, this is why you're listening to me, so I'm going to say things, I'm going to maybe throw a few acronyms in there that you might not know, but I think for you, it's just like all your videos, so people should go down the rabbit hole of your YouTube videos, because you have a very funny delivery, man, I love it. Um, it's very relaxing, but Thank, I appreciate ahead. that. I think part of that is I also spent many years teaching and I still love teaching whenever I get the chance to, um, but teaching all different age groups, drum set. I even, I was a TA at USC, you know, teaching a, a drum set class to non-majors for five years. With um, Peter, right? Yeah. Peter was the official professor, but most of the day to day instruction was delivered by me so you know you have to find a way to communicate it's all about communication right it's like you have to find a way to help the student understand the information you're giving to them with the end result being that they're learning about music and learning how to play the drums right that's what it's all about so and i i take the same approach when i'm making a youtube video right and and sort of assuming that Maybe the the viewer doesn't know anything. Yeah. You know, or maybe they know just a little bit about drums or drum sounds. Um so I always try to find a happy medium and and maybe maybe I say a piece of information in the video where to where that viewer might have to do a little bit more research that's beyond their comprehension. But you know, it takes a quick Google search to figure it out. And then it's like, oh, okay, I get what he's saying about like phase inversion or what, you know, whatever it is. Sure. Um, or what's a ribbon mic? What's the difference between that and a condenser mic? Just little things like that. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I just, yeah, I think the main thing is, I think part of what the recording deal is I had to learn a lot of it myself. It's not like I was just like a natural at doing it. So I think uh, the, when I talk about it, I, I'm pretty much talking about it as if I <laughs> knew nothing to begin with because I didn't. And so it's like I have to then explain every single thing. Yeah. Um, but in a, in a clear way. And I think part of that's just doing like 
going to school for so long and writing research papers and things like that and just having to communicate in a very clear way. So go, going back to the world champions, what, what made you want to, because again, that record, you have that song that I played, and then there's a lot of jazz stuff. There's, it's just all over the place in a really cool way. So yeah. what made you put that record out? Is, was that your first solo record? That is my first solo record. And, Congrats, okay, by the way. Thank you. Um, okay, so just to try to be as concise as I can about this, when I first thought about putting out my own album, it was sort of like, Hey, what is my sound? What like what who am I <laughs> as a Jesus, yeah, that's a tough who one. Who <laughs> am I as an artist? And the short answer is I like lots of different styles of music. I like to listen to a lot of different things. Um I love to play jazz. I love playing rock. I love different eras of popular music and different eras of recorded sound. So I just thought instead of trying to just like okay, I'm going to start by putting out a very serious, like, modern jazz album. And then, you know, and then I'm going to do my very serious, like, singer-songwriter album a couple years from now and, you know, map it out that way. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to put out an album, a collection of music where I just like the sounds. It, and who cares, you know? So I sort of, I sort of tried to just divide it up, like, the first part of the album are the more produced sounds that I get in my home studio. And it's almost like a business card of sorts, if you think about it. It's like, hey, here are a few sounds that I like to do in my home studio. And the second half is like, here's me just playing jazz with a couple of guys I like to play tunes with in a trio format, which I re also recorded in my house. Um, so that's And that's how I divided it up. So the first half of the album is very produced sounding, like 1985 World Champions. Um, which is about the Kansas City Royals, which is where I grew up. But yeah, so that's basically why I did the album that way. Um, okay. Yeah. So there's all sorts of different vibes on there, and it was fun. Fun to it's make. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and your 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 wife played on it as as well. She's yeah. an amazing musician. Yeah, and I play in her band called Trio Kate. Her her name is spelled K A I T. In case anyone wants to look her up, Kate Dunton. Um, yeah, and she played a lot of keyboards on it. Um, which she totally rocked. If you if you check it out, um, I got a bunch of a bunch of my friends to play on there. Just uh, but yeah, Kate's on there too, and she's got some new music coming out soon. We're I'll link a bunch about. of that stuff in the show yeah. notes. But go buy it on. Great. Uh, is it on Bandcamp? Is it on? It's all over. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah. You can go so to my website. I have vinyl. If you want to, if you're into the vinyl thing. Yeah. Don't stream it, guys. Buy it. Um. And oh yeah, so basically this shows about influences. So I did want to talk about that before we jump into your five. So how do you go about when a new drummer comes on your radar? How do you go about digesting their style? And how do you, if it's something that really you know sparks your interest, how do you go about not making sure that they creep too much into what you're doing? You know, how do you how do you balance all that? That's a good question. Um, I think the first thing at least this is the way I approach things, is I never try to let myself get in the way of the music um, that I'm playing. I'm not saying like the music is like this overarching thing, but just whatever piece of music I happen to be playing, I never try to like insert myself into it that, you know, like this is my, again, this is my sound, this is my style. I just try to think like, what does this piece of music need to get the point across. 
Um, so there's that. There's that aspect of things. Um, when I listen to a new drummer that I found, um, a lot of times, I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot of drummers that came before us right now in 2021. Um, a lot of different styles, a lot of different sounds. And so I tend to think of, I tend to listen for where are they coming from, you know, in terms of the, a, the sound of the drums. I mean, I'm, I'm very much a sound guy, like just the, the overall sound of the drums, their feel, like where do they tend to place the beat? What sort of vocabulary are they using? You know, is it someone who's very influenced by, like, modern rock? Um, you know, like, how, how much do they, do they tend to swing certain subdivisions? But vocabulary-wise, are they coming from a place that is more jazz-oriented or rock-oriented or, like, metal, you know, or what, whatever it may be? Those are just way, things that, not that I'm trying to, like, box people in or categorize people, because that's... I mean, that's the whole thing that we don't want. <laughs> but we have to find ways to, I'm not saying size people up, but um, see where they're coming from, right? I get the sentiment you're saying, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so that's that's what I tend to do. Um, you know, I listen to some jazz drummers, and you go like, oh, man, you can tell that guy's like really influenced by like Max Roach or whatever. You know, Or like you listen to a rock drummer, and you go like, that guy is very influenced by John Bonham. You know, or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of where I, I, I tend to look at things uh, historically, as you'll see, like, as we go through even these songs that I've chosen as, like, my influences. Um, because to me, it's all connected. Like, all, all of us drummers are connected in some way. It's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, we're all connected in one way or another, through our influences and through songs we've listened to. Like today happens to be Elvin Jones's birthday. He would have been, uh, well, let's see, he was born in 27 and it's 2021, so 94. Um, most of us in one way or another, even if you've never listened to Elvin Jones, you're probably influenced by him in one way or another because so many other drummers have been influenced by him, right? Yeah, totally. Just little things like that. And so when I'm listening to other drummers, I'm kind of like trying to just figure out where they're coming from. Yeah. You know, stylistically. Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum. And it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. 
but I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time, and I just kept thinking about it, and so the opportunity to get it again was presented, and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co., the Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co., and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Well, let's just jump into it. Great. So... When I was a wee lad, when I was very young, <laughs> um, it was the 90s, mid-90s, and MTV was still a thing, you know, music videos and such. Yeah. And, like, right when I started playing drums, Green Day, like, became very popular with the album Dookie, right? Mm. Um, so, that was, I loved listening to that, and... My uh, stepmom would not let me have that tape because it had a lot of cussing on it. So, and sorry, the name mom. is Dookie. <laughs> it's called Dookie as well. So, to a ten-year-old, that's not very cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, to give to a kid. Um, sorry, mom. My friend in fourth grade dubbed me a, a cassette tape of Dookie. So that's how I got to listen to it over and over again. And I just listened to it all the time. So Trey Cool's the drummer. Um, that's the first thing. Very soon after that, my grandma, uh, who's a huge jazz fan, was like, no, no, no. Like, that stuff's cool, rock, whatever, rock and roll. Eh. Um, you need to check out some jazz. So she gave me this uh, this CD by that time. I mean, CDs were well around by the mid-'90s. Of, <laughs> it was... Uh, a hip grandma there. Buddy, yeah, Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa. And the album is called Krupa and Rich. And I mean, I listen. I used to listen to the whole album, but in particular, the second track on that album is called Bernie's Tune. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just starts out with a, a very open drum solo of Buddy Rich trading with Gene Krupa. And I just, as a, as a young kid, I just ate that up because it was just, I mean, it's technically amazing sounding and it's very musical. And I could just listen to that on repeat. It, but the funny part is I could listen to it on repeat in the same way I could listen to Green Day Dookie on repeat. Sure. Which is kind of what I ended up doing. Um, so th- those are like the first two early memories of albums and drummers that are just like deeply embedded in my musical DNA. Not that I'm saying I could play like Buddy Rich or Gene Krupa or Trey Cool the way that they do, but just the... Um, the essence of what they were doing is very deeply embedded in my musical DNA. Right on. All right. Well, this is, uh, well, since you mentioned it first, we'll go to Trey Cool first. So this is from Dookie, uh, and it's the song Basket Case from 1994. Huge hit. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe I'll start basically right when the drums come in, just because this goes on forever. So good. Sometimes I give myself the Just that grace. hi-hat thing is like such a hook. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me 
It all keeps adding up I think I'm cracking up And am I just paranoid? Am I just up? Oh, this film? I went to a drink I don't think he's, I mean, oddly enough, he hasn't really been brought up that much as an influence to drummers in this series. We've done probably about 50 or 60 episodes of this format. And I think it's he's one of those guys that people are nervous to it, not nervous to admit, but it's like so many of my little tricks that I do that I don't realize are these tricks come from Trey. That's what I'm saying. It's so deeply embedded in my musical, in my drumming DNA, because yeah. I listened to that that album so much on cassette tape on my oh, little yeah. Walkman when I was a kid. Um, just as much as the thing we're about to listen to, that it's just, it's in there. Like, doesn't mean that he's my favorite drummer, you know? I mean, I love his drumming, but, you know, when, when we think of, you, you were talking about, like, who's your favorite drummer? Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just automatically say, oh, Trey, cool, you know? <laughs> but I will say that he was a huge early influence and I think it was that song Burnout, which is the first song on yeah. Dookie. kind of has that drum solo. It's like a, a call and response, I guess, with Billy. Um, so, yeah. that's And the sounds on that. Are, is that Jerry Finn? Is he the producer on that one? I'm not even sure. I the drums know. sound so huge on that. They sound amazing. Um, I love it. While you're looking that up, let's listen to Bernie's tune, which is, um, as you said, Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa. So cool it's kind of like keith jarrett you can kind of hear them moaning and stuff and yeah so that goes on for quite a while and then yeah. the band and then the band and you know what's cool about that album is the band is like oscar peterson ray brown sweets edison i think herb ellis is on a few tracks i can't i can't really remember but um it's like as a kid listening to that i had no idea who ray brown was i didn't care i was just into the drumming but then years later it's like Oh, like I've been listening to this, these like amazing musicians for so long without even really realizing who they were. Um, well, I'll be honest. So who, who is that? I don't necessarily, I think you're more obviously rehearsed in jazz than I am. Ray Brown was one of the great jazz bass players, upright jazz bass players, um, who just, he played on, and he was a session musician in Los Angeles, you know, for most of his career. Um, he was married to Ella Fitzgerald at one point. Oh, okay. Um, and Oscar Peterson is, they had a trio together called the Oscar Peterson trio that Ed Thigpen played drums in. Um, but what a name little, yeah. Little interesting fact though. Uh, according to, well, this is according to Jeff Hamilton and some other guys, uh, Buddy Rich was Ray Brown's favorite drummer. You know, we, we all think of Buddy as being like this chops guy, like 
as drummers, we're all just amazed by his chops. But he was a very, very musical drummer. Um, and, you know, other musicians really did like playing with him a lot. I mean, Ray Brown said he's his favorite drummer. So Playing with him, probably not being on the bus with him. but uh. <laughs> <laughs> So the producer on Dookie, according to Wikipedia, is Rob Cavallo. I don't know who engineered it, though. Let's see if I can... Yeah, the drums just said they had that perfect level of room to oh, so punchiness. Uh, yeah. All right. So number two is, or slash three, is your favorite drummer and how their overall body work has affected you. Yeah. So we kind of already talked about this. And today is his birthday. <laughs> yeah. Elvin Jones. Um, I can't remember who said this quote. I, th- I want to say it was like Adam Nussbaum or something. But, uh, you know, there's drummers before elvin jones and then there's drummers after elvin jones he had such an impact on the way that we approached the instrument um just his style i mean it was like this guy he had such his own his own sound his own feel um and of course we all know him as playing like he's most well known for playing in john coltrane's quartet you know like on love supreme and all those great albums from that era and there's so many of his solo albums that I love too, right? So he's like he's been a huge influence on me, um, you know, just directly listening to him. But then I thought, oh, well, overall, like he's influenced so many other drummers that I love. Like, you know, Jim Keltner, for instance, says that his two favorite drummers are Ringo and Elvin. Like that says a lot right there. And then, of course, Keltner influenced so many drummers after that like Jeff Percaro for instance was one of uh or Percaro was super influenced by by Keltner you know so and I know Mark Juliana will not shut up about Elvin Jones I know well because he's he's so iconic and today happens to be his birthday but I will say this the one that we're going to listen to I had always been a huge Elvin fan love supreme just all the things like uh all the Wayne Shorter albums he played on all those like we love those albums but when I first started studying with Peter Erskine, who is another huge Elvin fan, um, he was like, uh, and keep in mind, when I first started studying with Peter, I hadn't really like transcribed an Elvin solo because like listening to Elvin solos, you go like, how can you possibly figure out what he's doing? You know, because it's so, it's kind of a daunting task. So when I got to USC, Peter was like, I want you to transcribe first, first, very first lesson with him. Jesus, Peter. I want you to transcribe this Elvin solo and have it ready by next week when you come back in for your lesson. And I and I listen to him like, oh my god, there's no way I could possibly do this because if you listen to it, it almost sounds like this is the question for the listener: Is it in time, or is it rubato? Is it not? Is there a meet? Is there a pulse going of some kind, or is it just open-ended drum solo before he goes into the rest of the tune with uh, with Coltrane? And it's like um, the third question is like, does it matter if you know the answer to one or two? Right. But it's all about just um, the motion, right? His flow. As people call it flow now. But it's really just the shape of it, right? How how he sets it up. Um, and it's, it's great because it's like this beautifully abstract sort of drum solo. It's not like listening to... Uh, Max Roach, that's or Philly Joe, that's like very well thought out, uh, like rudimental. Like you can really hear all the ideas, and you as a drummer you go, oh, that was a five stroke roll, or oh, that was um, 
a you know flam accent or, or whatever you know you listen to this song and it just sounds so organic you know it's like it's you can't really hear any sort of rudiments or what have you um so this was a big sort of like influence on me right after i moved to la because of studying with peter and i know it's one of peter's big um drum solos i mean he i remember him telling me he's like when he first heard this particular drum solo he was like on a tour bus you know with his headphones on in the middle of the night listening to this and it just like tears were like flowing down his face you know and you listen to a solo like this and it, it's so beautiful and I, I could totally relate to that um because you listen to something like this and it's like he has such his own sound it's like where did that where did that even come from you know <laughs> It's amazing. So this is uh, on a record called Kuluse Mama, and it's a track called Vigil. And does it start off right away, or where is it yep, within the track? Yeah, the drum solo is right at the beginning. It's and it's like, I mean, put yourself in that position to like play an open and a drum solo, and you got to bring Coltrane in, and then they just go to the moon from there. So we can just listen to like maybe a few bars after Train comes in. He's saying a whole hell of a lot there. Oh, just the energy of it all. Totally. I love it. Um, so, yeah, just, and the elasticity, the way he just stretches some notes out, and the dynamics. I just, I love it. And, you know, as a drummer, from a drumming perspective, if you, if you were to sit down and try to mimic that, um, you know, imitate that, you would learn so much just as a drummer about dynamics and your touch on the instrument. There's so many things to get out of that just from an educational perspective that if you were to if you were able to um, internalize all that musically and allow it to come out later, you know you would you would just have such a better understanding of the instrument and of the style and of yourself. That's the main thing, right is, understanding your own relationship to the to the instrument and how you play it which i think is pretty cool when it comes to you know recording for other people do you ever and going back to influences as well do you ever 
approach a specific piece of music and go how like how would elvin do this and knowing it's going to come out as jake regardless and it's probably going to have ringo in there it's probably going to have keltner in there it's probably going to have max roach in there with you know if it's a little more formulaic on certain things like do you ever go in with that mindset or is that kind of uh too Um, esoteric no sometimes it's like kind of in the back of my mind you know depending Mm -hmm. on the song but again a lot of that has to do with where's the artist coming from the person i'm playing for um or what's the situation you know if you're just doing a gig somewhere then you can and you play like 26 and 2 or something you know it's like <laughs> 26 2 i should say <laughs> i was thinking of 46 and, and there. i, like I was that. thinking another i was thinking of 46 and 2 <laughs> the tool song uh, um, well gunner would have appreciated that yeah so um, yeah. yeah does that make sense though like totally i guess it's just um I guess the follow-up question would be, what's the percentage, uh, you know, since you, of course, if I hadn't already say this, you have a home studio, you record for a lot of people. Um, what's the percentage of people that approach something with you uh, or approach you with something and say, just do your thing or I have a very distinct idea? Because a lot of times they have an idea for what they want to do, but they're like, I have just do you. That's a That's a good question. I would say most of the time it starts out as, Hey, just do whatever you hear on this. And I approach that from the perspective of, okay, but if you have like a temp drum track that you've already sent me and you've been listening to that for like months on end, mm. like I already know that you might you might grow to appreciate however I approach your song, but at first you're going to kind of have demo-itis and like really just want to hear what you programmed. Mm. So a lot of times... I take that with a grain of salt and I say, okay, I'm going to do exactly what you programmed for the first take. And then maybe second take, I'll throw in a couple of elements that are maybe my own thing. And then maybe I'll do a third take where it's like totally like how I would approach it and throw your, uh, you know, temp drums out the window. Right in the damn trash. Yeah. Exactly. But a lot of times I, I like the challenge of playing what people program, you know, because they're not thinking like a drummer. Um, I so, couldn't agree more. It's so really it be, fun. So it could be really cool to try to do it that way. Um, but yeah, I would say percentage of the time. I don't know. I would say it's like probably 50 50. Like the track I'm doing later today, the guy sent it to me. He's like, do your thing on this. And I'm like, OK, but I'm still probably going to do what you program just so you have it. <laughs> well, it's also like, how do you know me? What do you think my thing is? You know, if he's only exactly. heard like the 80s video. And I'll or have the to say this. Yeah. Here's what I, and this is another thing to drummers out there. And I, you know, years ago I took a lesson with Aaron Sterling and we talked about this. Oh, wow. Because I used to say, I was saying to Aaron, I'm like, man, the I'm in this weird position right now because like I play a lot of jazz. So people might think of me as a jazz guy only. Or someone might think of me only as a rock guy or like you're more of like a folksy Americana guy or maybe or like whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, And his response was actually like the opposite, which was that's great. He's like, let everyone have their own version of you that they think you are. That's totally cool, because then it's it's just it's like when that person thinks of someone, they're going to call you. You know, who cares what the collective majority of people think of you? Like, just be whatever you are to that one person, and that's fine. So when he said that, I was, that kind of, like, gave me a little more freedom. And that was, like, before I recorded that album. I mean, this was probably, like, 
six or seven years ago now. Wow. So it's been quite a while. But as soon as he as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, it just kind of liberated me in a in a way. Because yeah, um, I think that is a, a struggle with a lot of it, me and incl- I, I don't really do a lot of remote sessions for people. I'm more of a touring guy, but that is a struggle that I've had, which is like, do you be a jack of all trades or you just promote yourself as like pop rock indie when you can? You, I mean, if the people send you a me a jazz track, I can get it done, but it's like it's not gonna. It's probably I have friends that I would should should you know suggest you to, but yeah, just to knowing how to pick that lane because being able to decide i'm gonna let myself have a handicap in this thing because i'm gonna you know go full-fledged down this thing that i'm good at yeah it's it's a tough thing to let certain things atrophy and i think part of it is we get very caught up in like trying to be an expert on every style like we're taught like you need to learn all styles you know and play at all tempos and be a, be an expert in everything when really it's like we're you're always going to be getting better at stuff you know you like you're always going to practice and work on things and those and they all kind of intermingle to me you know it's like when i'm working on whatever it may be like if i'm working on playing some linear funk groove you know and i'm thinking about the dynamics that are involved in that to really make it feel good and groove I'm thinking about like the very tiny space between the notes uh, in like how much am I swinging 16th notes or something that all relates back to playing jazz, right? Because you're still working on your touch and you're still working on playing um, with dynamics. You know, it's just, you just have to change your perspective. So it's like, in a way you're getting better at all things when you're practicing one specific thing that you think you need to work on. Is that how you break down your practice routine? Or, I mean, how do you, do you ever do like samba ostinato on the kick drum? And, or is that not something? I used to be very diligent about how I would practice that stuff. Nowadays, it's mostly like, oh, what was the thing I screwed up the other day that I felt really uncomfortable playing? Like, I'm going to practice that. Sure. Yeah, like as John Clayton says, he's a great bass player in town who actually owns Ray Brown's bass. He says, yesterday's yesterday's mistakes are tomorrow's practice or today's mistakes are tomorrow's practice, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I no, think is I a great, that. I love that. Which is a great little saying, but that's, how, that's kind of how I approach things now is just like what actually needs work right now. And there's usually something, but that's my whole thing is like, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to be perfect at playing. I'm not going to be an expert at playing a samba. But if I get on a session and like there happens to be one song that's a samba, and they don't they don't have time to bring in like expert samba guy in town, like I can do a good enough job to make it feel good and sound. The main thing that Peter used to talk about because he's really good at playing a lot of different styles is to sound convincing. It's like if you're learning how to speak French or something, and you go to France. You just want to sound convincing enough to like be able to order a chicken sandwich or whatever at the restaurant, right? Sure. You're not like trying to give a dissertation in French, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. But um, that's kind of how I approach things. It's because I I do a lot of session work where it's like, oh, this is a big band thing. I love playing big band. I'm not like, you know, Sonny Payne, you know, <laughs> or, or Buddy Rich playing in a big band. Yeah. But I can sound pretty dang convincing doing it well speaking of mistakes i guess let's move on to the next guy who was known as just being a dead weight in the studio jeff Picaro. the album is toto 
and uh, or it's album. Oh my gosh, I'm just gonna let you say it. It's upon. It's their eponymous album. Eponymous so, album. It just means self-titled. Okay, gosh, um, you're, you're so much first, smarter than me. <laughs> it's their first album. No, that's not true. Um, but I picked this because we just listened to Elvin, which was very. It was like you know like. I don't know how to describe it. It was very, there's a lot of information in there, right? There's a lot of meat on the bones yeah. there. There's a lot to extract out of that drum solo. And like I said, uh, Elvin was a huge influence on Keltner and like every other drummer in the world, basically, in one way or another. And Keltner was a huge influence on Percaro, as he talks about in interviews and things like that. Um so Jeff Percaro is who I picked. You talked about like one picking one influential Phil. Yeah. And sometimes Phil's can be really complex. Sometimes they can be very simple. And for whatever reason, I think it's because like if we can, maybe can you back up a little bit when we listen to this example? Sure. And just give it just give it a while because basically if you don't know the tune Georgie Porgy by Toto it's like this tune grooves for like a couple minutes. He's just laying it down, and he kind of plays some of the same fills, which is pretty great uh, every four bars or so. So it's like this groove is just percolating for a couple minutes, and then finally we get to this moment where it's like there could be this most epic, amazing, like you get drummer, hey, you get a whole bar to play a drum fill. What are you going to do? And he just plays the perfect thing to sort of counterbalance um, what had just been happening in the song for the past couple minutes of just him laying it down, right? Exactly. So I just love the simplicity of it, the space, and sort of the tension and release that's built into it. So that's I what I have it. to say. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, you, yeah, the fill, if people want to know, it is at 153, but I'm going to start the song at about 120. So just know in about 30-ish seconds, you're going <laughs> to you're gonna hear this fill. It'll but all yeah, make sense. Let it the punchline. <laughs> to be so confident in who you are oh. as a player to do that that's so ballsy and you have to think they're not using a click back then you know so just ha allowing that space to exist in the within that song and i would I, I i mean this is probably almost more important than the fill you know we always talk about what didn't you play but if you listen so what came like what the whole band is playing the bar before that space happens? Da 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 He's not playing that like he's like some fusion drummer. He's not playing ga 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 right. I mean, back play it one more time. Listen to what he does like this in that figure that the rest of the band is playing.
Yeah, he only gets those last two notes to let you know that he's still with them. Yeah, he just grooves through it. So that kind of goes back to the big band thing of like, you don't, not that he was a big band drummer, but it's like you don't have to play all the hits. You don't have to catch every figure with the band, you know? Just catch the important ones. Just catch those last two. Da-da. If anything, it's fatiguing when a drummer, and this is a young drummer, not necessarily age-wise, but just in riding with people, that's what you think you're supposed to do. The bass drum says, boom, booka, boom, boom, booka, boom, boom, booka, you know, but if you, that becomes fatiguing after a while. Totally. It's okay for for the bass player and the kick drum to live in their own spaces. Yep. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you heard you it always, here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Jeff for days, but I agree. Those are always the coolest fills. Um, and I've said it ad nauseum on this podcast, but it's like you always want to create those fills that make all the the dorky you know, people driving their cars that don't know how to play drums air drum on their steering wheel. And that's when you know you've made it. And that's a perfect example of that. Yeah. And... Uh, for me, just from a recording perspective, because I know that's one thing we, you wanted to talk about. Not that that's like always in my head, like, I'm going to play this like that fill just like Jeff played or whatever. Um, but for me, when I'm recording, most of the time, it's the simplest thing that usually translates the best mm-hmm. through the mics, right? Um Usually if I if I play too many notes, it just doesn't land. It's not like, you know, you're a comedian or, you know, telling a a comic, I should say, telling a, a punchline. It's like you want your fill to land. You want it to uh, you know, like it's like when you listen to Steve Gadd or something and you hear him just play any I mean, he's great at playing more complicated fills, but they're not like so complicated that the groove is lost. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of a master at doing that thing. Yeah, I had Jojo Mayer on about a month ago, and his thing was just clarity. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of putting words in his mouth, but uh, and from an audience perspective, they, they they just want clarity, and because of that, in, inherently simpler or more simple is how you become more clear with your but, statement. Yeah. And and recording, it's like they can't see you unless it's like everything nowadays where you everything's getting videotaped too. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's like as I'm just, recording you on yeah, videotape. if you're just listening to a record, it's like, ah, you know, it just for me, every time I hear a playback of something, it's usually the simpler thing that I played that feels better and is clearer. It just sounds better, you know, the drums speak better when there's less information being flung about, you know, in the are, room. Are, are you getting better at knowing to play more simple the first time around? Or are you. And I, again, I know I say this all the time on the podcast, but I always, I play and then I'm like, oh man, I was playing so little that time, but I still had a few Benisms and then I'll go in the control room and I'm like, dude, 80% of that needs to not be there. Are you getting better since you've recorded man. so much that you're getting better at liking your first take? I have to say this. This is so funny. You just said, Sean Hurley literally just texted me and I feel like he's the one guy that I've learned that from. Okay. Oh my God! What is he? Oh, great bass player. We we did a um yeah a donut uh oh like yeah. a donut competition yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, that and bass line was so good in that song. He more than like playing with drummers. It's like you learn more from the musicians you're playing with. But every time I get to record with him, he's so good at just playing the bare minimum on the first take and like having 
the patience to not play anything and having the discipline to like not just play a bunch of stuff on the first take and see what oh hey I'm just figuring out the song oh I'm just figuring out what works on this no it's like play the most sim- play the simplest thing and let the extra stuff present itself when it happens you know like don't try to force a bunch of extra notes or fills into the song and that's tough and it it's usually tough. doesn't come from a, a a place of confidence you think oh playing more it comes from a place of insecurity and yeah. not wanting space because space is scary yeah and and also understanding where the artist is coming from because sometimes maybe they're insecure about their song a little bit you know and so if you're a drummer sometimes people you know they go oh i want you to play more and it's like i i like to let them ask me to play more yep instead of hey can you just simplify things a little bit hey can <laughs> yeah, you just Jesus, back dude. it off can you just back it off a couple notches it got a little yeah. complicated in there we get it you're getting your bonus okay exactly um, you getting paid by the note over there <laughs> yeah no no um so that's that's how i yeah i was i will say that's something I've definitely improved upon over the years. I wouldn't say I'm ever perfect at it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm it's a slowly getting. I tell it's myself I'm getting better, and then um, and then I do a session, and I'm just like, nope. But all right, so number number four, and it's a uh, yeah, just an influential album from a recording perspective. Right. Um, yeah. So this is part of the yeah the the criteria that you yes. <laughs> sent to me i put you in um, a box jake yeah it's okay i like it though because you, you get more creative from being put in a box yeah um okay so yeah number four and again th- they all kind of tie into each other in a way this this record was from i think 1966 is when it was recorded um and the record is by the drummer is shelly man mm. and it's a duo album with a guitar player, classical guitar player named Jack Marshall. And the name of the album is Sounds. Very 60s of them, right? <laughs> um, and the thing is, going back to Percaro, Jeff Percaro's father, Joe Percaro, they moved out here because he was a percussionist. And he, I'm sure you know this, but maybe some of the listeners don't. He was a, uh, a percussionist in the studio scene here and a you know, great drum set player, too. Um Worked with Shelly Mann. You know, they were all tight. So it's like Shelly, I'm sure he and, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of stories about him and Jeff Percaro, you know, mingling in some way. Um, but I love this album, Sounds, because, you know, we think of Shelly as being this drummer, like this great West Coast jazz drummer, which is another label that I don't really like, but jazz historians have put this label on him. Um, even he's from New York originally, um, and so he's again an amazing drummer. Um, I'm heavily influenced by his just drum set playing, but he also had this amazing um, imagination, right? So like when he's you listen to him on this record, it's like he's not playing like a jazz drummer. He's very aware, like you just said, self-aware. He's very aware of the space that he's in. And how things are going to translate through the microphones in Capitol Studios, through their reverb chambers. Um, and the thing is, it's like they're they're playing normal tunes, but because there's no bass player, it's classical guitar and Shelly playing whatever 
percussion instruments he wants to. So a few things that I love about this that I've sort of taken away from it and applied to my own approach to recording. Um, he just has basically his ability, first of all, to reimagine a piece of music, which I remember Peter talking to me about this years ago, Erskine. Um, but it's like they're playing normal tunes on here. Like this is the theme from Lawrence of Arabia that we're going to listen to. Um, they're playing a movie theme, but it's like his ability to just take that movie theme and sort of reimagine it as this new thing. It almost sounds like a brand new piece of music that's never been played before. You know, even though it's like an iconic movie theme uh, by Maurice Yare, who was also a percussionist, um, the composer of that. He's also a percussionist. So there's that. Um, and just his use of dynamics, the way he's able to approach the space in the room. Um, these days, we just call it a vibe. Oh, that's a vibe, you know? Like, that's what we call it now. We boil it down to this one word, vibe. But um, it's like not every... It, and thirdly, I would say, uh, the thing I take away from this is his specificity in choosing the instruments that he plays on each of these tracks. I mean, if you listen to the whole record, they're all a little different. But every song, every track, he's very specific about which instruments he chooses to play and when. It's like you have this whole room at your disposal, full of percussion instruments. What do you choose? You know, you don't just play all of them in the kitchen sink in the same song, because that wouldn't really get the point across. There would be no um, thesis or topic or, or, or thread of continuity, right? Because they're telling a story. It's like when you watch a movie, there's got to be some sort of plot happening. Um, so telling the story, it's all about telling the story. And it's just amazing to me, like, the instruments with which he chooses to play and where he chooses to play them, right? And so I kind of take that away into, like, every song I record on, it's like, this doesn't necessarily have to be a drum set. It doesn't have to be a drum set that sounds a certain way, you know? It doesn't have to even be, uh, like, we think of doing percussion on songs. It's like, you don't always have to put a shaker and a tambourine <laughs> on <What>? every song, <laughs> right? Oh, maybe just a little tambo and shaker. You don't have to do that, right? So anyway, that's I. Those are just a few things I took away from listening to this. Sorry, I'm getting long-winded now. No, but. no, I love it. I'm just sorry, my my dog's like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Um. All right. So, so she can't hear me talking. She's like, "Why are you just staring at the computer? <laughs> um, you're not even typing, Dad." All right. So, theme from Lawrence of Arabia. Thank you. 
Yeah, man. The whole album is like that. It's just, but they all sound different. It's all just sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Just the way that he's able to like have that like very open low bass drum. Yeah. And play and then you know play. It sounds like he's playing with mallets, you know, on the toms, as like sort of the A section. Yeah. Um, and whatever that string instrument is, he's playing. He could just be using the butt end of a pair of brushes too. Yeah. You know, and just flip them over. And then, but you hear when they go to like the B section, he's like, okay, I'm jazz guy now, playing brushes on a snare. And so it'd be kind of, it comes like looser feeling, right? It's like he's just playing in a trio or something, like a jazz gig. Yeah. But then when they go back, it's like this very well thought out uh, motif, right? It's like a very well thought out idea that he's repeating. And that mm-hmm. sort of sets up the sonic landscape, or as we call it now, a vibe. It's the same thing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just love that. I love that so much. Um, I could listen to that album all day. And it just, the way that he's able to, like, you can hear he's not really playing super loud. But then every once in a while, when he really hits something, you can hear, like, the, it really affects the reverb. Like, mm-hmm. it really makes that, that reverb fire off. So you hear that space that's created. But. And by the way, I did fact check you. You were 100% right. 1966 is when that record came out. Boom. Thank you for fact checking me because it's hard to remember everything. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, uh, for the sake of time, let's move on to the fifth one. And yeah. it's a memorable performance. Yes. So speaking of percussion mm. and Shelly and all that, um, before everything shut down back in, you know, whenever that was now. Um, yeah. I did this gig. I got to do this gig at the Hollywood Bowl with um, the LA Phil, LA Philharmonic, and Alex Acuna was the uh, another one of the guest percussionists on this piece that we played. It was a Duke Ellington piece called Harlem. And um, for those of you that don't know Alex Acuna, he's an amazing percussionist and drum set player, and he lives here in LA and does uh, sesh- a lot of session work. He's played on tons of films and mo- you know TV shows and what, what have you. But before all that, he was one of the drummers, one of the percussionists and drummers in Weather Report. And Erskine actually ended up, I believe, taking his place uh, in Weather Report. Um, but the first, when I was a teenager, when I was like 14 years old, um, I was taking piano lessons with this guy named Joe Michelon in Kansas City. And he was like, hey, have you ever checked out Weather Report? And I'm like, Weather Report? What's that? And he's like, check this out. And he gave me, uh, black. he was like, go get Black Market, Weather Report Black Market, which is a great album. Um, and Alex Acuna plays percussion on most of that album. And there's some there's some great drummers on there, uh, Narada Michael Walden, uh, um chester thompson's on it who you know he's it's just amazing but alex cunha plays percussion on that album and so i and i was like very like at that time i was like wow this is awesome because it's like funk but it's like you know jazz but it's like there's percussion going on and drum set and (laughs) you know like to my little to my ears at that time it was like this amazing thing and i just loved it so all these years later how long was that i can't even do the math Many many years later, getting to play is the is the number. <laughs> getting to play with him, like do like we played like so we played the whole chart with the L.A. Phil at the Hollywood Bowl 
at the very end of this whole piece of music, there's like a, a drum solo where we just go crazy. Like he, he and I, we're just playing stuff together. So just that whole memory of us just getting to work out like what we're going to do and and all most of it was improvised. But And then like the whole percussion section joined in with us uh, at the end of that. It was just like this amazing memory. And I just remember thinking like, this is why, this is what I want to do. This is why I'm doing this because of getting like these moments like this, you know, and it, it was just such a good feeling. Um, and then a couple months after that, before I, re- so that was like in September of 2019, a few months later, like in January, 2020, I got called to play on, it was like this TV show. Um, and the session was at Capitol and it was like this whole thing. And I was like kind of nervous about it. Cause it was like with a full big band, like live, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, like, I'm really nervous about this. But then I got there and lo and behold, in the booth next to me was Alex Acuna on percussion. Oh, wow. And just seeing his smiling face, you know, after a few months, I just, I was like, put at ease, you know? Yeah. Well, when did you think, you know, this record that you grew up listening to, you'd be walking into a session at Capitol Records and seeing that drummer and being like, oh, the familiar face. Now I feel less nervous. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. Um, because of the experience of playing with him with the L.A. Phil and the way that he's just able to make everyone else around him feel comfortable. And that, like, that's a lesson right there. Being, being the drummer in, in a band or in an orchestra and being able to make everyone else around you feel comfortable about the moment, uh, about the piece of music you're going to play, um, and making everyone else sound better because of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that it all kind of came full circle for me. Um, but one of the great tracks that you can really hear is percussion shine on from that album that I heard, because he's on a bunch of weather report stuff that's amazing. Like if you listen to the album Heavy Weather, which also has a great drum performance from Jocko on Teen Town. But um, I don't know if you are familiar with Weather Report that much, but I don't. It's one of those things like I need (laughs) Peter. I need to get in more of him. And then, of course, Weather Report would be one of those reasons. But yeah, I mean, I love and I I love all of that. But it's like there's so many other things to love, too, and check out. But yeah, no, I'm overwhelmed all the time with how much, especially doing this show. I I get five new picks every week. Um, It's it's rough. You know, on on that note because I know it's overwhelming and I was thinking about this earlier because it's overwhelming to narrow it down to five picks. But I would just say to all the younger drummers, maybe listening to this, like, it's okay. It's like, I used to listen to one thing over and over again and just be cool with that. I mean, you have so much time to listen to new pieces of music. Like, and it's so easy with the way that things are now to just like listen to one thing and then move on to the next new thing. And then move on to the next new thing. And it's like, we don't ever really get deep, you know, into one thing. Like, don't go further along the way listening to more and more stuff. Just go deeper into one thing. Don't go further, go deeper. You know, get deeper into one thing. Um, and really check it out and get as much as you can out of it. So I would just say, I know it's overwhelming. Like, there's so much to listen to. And I'm the same way. I, I People tell me about new music every day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yet again, another thing I need to go check out. And then I get like all anxious about it, but it's like, it's okay to just chill and like listen to one thing at a time and listen to it over and over again until you've gotten everything out of it that you can at that point in time. You can come back to it later. There's no rules. 
And then when you're ready to listen to something new, seek it out, you know, or like accept, accept uh, listening to it, accept it no, into I, your ears. I, I think that my, I would say 80% of who I am as a player was probably created before YouTube existed, before I could, you know, just move around. I had like my 15 albums I listened to whenever I was delivering pizza, you know, exactly. for five hours at night, you know, and exactly. that's, those are the things that are still with me, whether I like it or not. Um, yeah. So just, yeah, I, I just, just be patient with yourself. All you, not you specifically, Ben, but <laughs> this is just, a good therapy session. I like it. Yeah. Forget <laughs> it. I stopped recording 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. I do tell people that and he's like students, it's like, just be patient and like, listen to one thing at a time, work on one thing at a time. You don't need to sit, you don't need to have like a practice routine where you sit down and do rudiments and then you work on bebop and then you work on playing rock beats and then you work on all your linear funk patterns and then all like all your chops around the drum set, like just work on one thing at a time until you're cool with that and then move on to the next thing a different day. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a week later. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, anyway, elegant people. This is elegant people. Alex Acuna on percussion. Chester Thompson's actually playing drum set. But just the, this goes back to the full circle moment of getting to play with Alex Acuna at the Hollywood Bowl with the L.A. Phil. And I was subbing for Erskine the whole time because he had messed up his wrist or something and couldn't play. Jeez. Oh, so Elegant thank you, Peter. symbol he's using for those like uh those little accents it's got it's like the rivets on him it has this cool little sizzle thing but it's really quick but it still has like a really it has yeah. a story to it you know it's, yeah it's very it's cool. really cool curious what he's using if you listen to what acuna is playing on that he's basically just playing like a cascara pattern mm-hmm. at the beginning and then all the the timbali stuff and just picking those moments to like you know insert a little comment on the congas or whatever yeah and yeah in between you know chester thompson playing all these just um like impressive and i mean that in a very positive way like amazing fills around the drums and just mm-hmm. amazing display of drumming it's cool to hear um, him play and chester's one of those drummers that i've i mostly know him from like his live stuff um and he's i always associated him with being like that huge tom phil drummer and like it's cool to hear him play a lot softer here yeah and then you keep listening to that song and they go into like just this super groovy 
section. It's just that's an amazing track. That's an amazing album. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, one more thing to add to the list, but maybe not according to you. Your, just take your, your time. Advice. You don't have to listen to it. There's no rules. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, like any podcast, man, I want, do you have a little, uh, anything that you want to promote, that you want to talk about, anything coming up that you want people to know about? Um, yeah. I mean, check out my, my YouTube channel. I try to help. I'm, I'm assuming that mostly drummers are listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to learn more about recording drums, I try to do videos whenever I can, which ends up being like once every month or a little over that. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Jake Reed Music is my handle um for those of you non-drummers i just put out a sample pack about a month ago called super dead drums and it's just like the driest most dead sounding drums you can find uh, at least that i'm <laughs> not it's not true there could be deader um none more dead none more dead i was actually gonna do one called like night not quite dead yet drums Oh, just, nice. They're not, they're not quite as dead sounding. Um, so, yeah, that's all I got going, really. My wife is about to put out some music that I played on. Okay. And Sean Hurley's the bass player. Mm. Andrew Senewick on guitar. Yeah. So that's about it. That's all we got going now. Okay. Um, Which, it's a lot. I'm, I I'm think, a, you're, you know. It, yeah, and in between, you know, just like working and doing <laughs> yeah. sessions here. Um, but, yeah, I would just say the main way to keep in touch is like Instagram... Um, YouTube. You can email me. I have a website, jakereadmusic.com. You can, if you, if anyone wants to like send me a message through there. But otherwise, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, dude. Thanks again for being on and I will talk to you soon. Thanks. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at bigfatsnaredrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. Bye.